Yeah, it is definitely a magical garden in the middle of summer because we're in an orchard and we grow under the trees and everything is organic shape. Yeah, we're trying to use, to maximize the space. So right now I'm a grower of specialty cut flowers for florists and designers uh, who want to work in a sustainable way. But I also am a designer myself. So I mainly grow the flowers I love to work with. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 611. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. And thank you to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign, where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Last month, passports in hand, I traveled by car and ferry boat to the island of Vancouver in British Columbia. The trip was intended to celebrate my mother's 88th birthday, and we wanted to enjoy high tea at the famed Empress Hotel, tour the spring borders and displays at the famed Bouchard Gardens, and enjoy this beautiful destination for a few days. Of course, I had to invite myself to meet some of our Slow Flowers members in Victoria while I was there. As I mentioned, we took a ferry ride, a 90-minute crossing from Tawasson to Schwartz Bay. The views were incredible. On the first morning, we set out to visit Fleurice Studio and Blooms and to meet Julie Remy in person. Julie greeted us, settled my mom in her book on a cozy chair for a while, and she and I embarked on a lovely tour of the small island farm where Julie and her partner live and work. Fleurice Studio's tagline is elegant and eco-friendly flowers. I was fascinated to learn about the journey that led Julie to this special place and to a life focused on growing and sourcing sustainable flowers for her luxurious floral designs, weddings, unique subscriptions, and private flower arranging workshops. She explains on her website, I want to connect others to nature through the beauty of flowers. My business perfectly draws on my greatest passions, gardening, photography, interior design, antiques, and a love of all colors, textures, and lines. I loved learning how Julie has traveled the world as a humanitarian photographer, after which she settled on Vancouver Island and built a small floral design studio surrounded by the flowers that she grows and works with. 
We'll start with an interview recorded in Julie's studio. If you're interested in watching our 20-minute virtual tour of the gardens and flower production areas, check out the show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 611, and you'll be able to watch the replay video. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Show. I am here in Victoria, British Columbia, at Florice Studio in Blooms with Julie Remy, who's going to tell us really how to pronounce her name. Okay, it's Julie Remy, but I, I barely ever hear it properly. Oh, Julie Remy. Yeah. I'm a little closer. It's so pretty. Thank you so much for letting me come and have a tour and see your magical place. I'm so impressed. Mom, thank you so much for coming. That's amazing. Well, uh, we met originally when you uh, took the writing course this past winter, and uh, I just loved seeing your work and getting to know you better. And when I knew I was heading up to Victoria, I asked Julie if we could record this episode for the Slow Flower Show. So we're in your studio. Um, it's a wonderful space. And you said it was the original residence on this property. So yeah. um, what are the origins? Like over 100 years old? Yeah, it's like maybe 130-ish okay. years. Yeah, it's been a while. When we renovated this space, inside the walls, we found drawings uh, all over the walls that were just amazing of like portraits of women and all kinds of beautiful drawings that we kept yeah um, like on paper or it, on the wood it was actually there was a piece there were pieces of paper on inside the walls okay um yeah like in the studs yeah, yeah pretty wow. much yeah okay well Floris studio is part of a family compound so give us a little snapshot of what you've been able to do here in the last five years. And we are going, we filmed a tour, a walking tour of the, the growing area. So you'll see all of that um, either before or after this segment. I haven't figured out the order yet. So, yeah. um, but, but um, how do you describe your business now and what your kind of all your facets are? Yeah, so right now I, I'm, a, I'm a grower of uh, specialty cut flowers uh, for florists and designers uh, who want to work in a sustainable way and uh, with the season and buying just like local flowers as much as they can. Um, but I also am a designer myself. So I mainly grow the flowers I love to work with. Uh, sure. I yeah. Mean those come first, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the same time, when I, I, I mean, I, it's been five years, so I'm still kind of changing uh, the landscape mm -hmm. a lot. And some flowers I, I grow more fond of and others less. So I, I keep changing what I grow. I love year. it. Yeah. Well, you're not a row crop, you know, agricultural grower. You're it's integrated into the landscape and that's sort of it's it's the garden you live amidst as well because you live here yeah yeah it is definitely kind of a magical garden in the middle of, of the summer because uh, we're under we're in an orchard 
and we grow under the trees and everything is hand created and organic shape. Well, not everything, but we're trying lots of these curvilinear paths and, yeah. and organic beds that are maybe under a fruit tree. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we're trying to use, to maximize the space. And uh, I would say that the main reason for me to, to well, to use the space here is that I have access to this land uh, through my in-laws, who are the owners of the farm. And it, it was like a, a hobby farm for them, and they were not really doing anything professionally here, but... Uh, yeah. Little did they know when you arrived. <laughs> yeah, they have no idea. But basically, my father-in-law was like, oh, yeah, you seem to be enjoying gardening. You... Just like, please, whatever you want to do, uh, feel free to, to grow something. And initially, I, I was growing more uh, food, food crops, and I started creating beds. And um, they had a few dahlias here that they were just selling a few bunches of dahlias at the end of the road at their stand. And I started to make little bouquets for the stand and, and then realized that I actually enjoyed making big things, very lush, and that was not making any sense for the stand. Um, right, because the farm stand is where they're selling produce yeah. primarily and fruit. Yeah. And who is coming down this private drive, mainly neighbors or locals? Well, there's, it's actually a very uh, frequented road because right at the end of the road, we have a park. And so there's a lot of people walking to go to the park because there isn't much parking uh, right at the foot of the park. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dog walkers and people just want to enjoy nature. And also a lot of the neighbors, um, there are some footpaths kind of connecting different neighborhoods around that people are, yeah, using. So I saw some folks walking their dogs on yeah. my way down Glendenning Glen Drive, right? Glendenning Road. Glendenning yeah. Road, okay. And that's what this farm is called as well, where your, your family lives. Yeah, Glendenning Farm. Far yeah. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So you're kind of on the thoroughfare, albeit a pedestrian thoroughfare, and so people know that they can buy things at, at the farm stand is it usually just like on the weekends or yeah it's it's not really uh there's no real schedule it's <laughs> I love it's, it. uh, it's my in-laws project so they they're in charge of of the farm stand and they're selling um mainly tomatoes blueberries and whatever we have surplus of in sure in the orchard or in the garden like for food um i am no i'm not selling the flowers there no well it sounds like you realize you wanted to go big and more artistic and yeah. maybe the mason jar okay was we would work here but nothing larger yeah and, and i felt that i wanted to have a quality product and by having flowers sitting at a stand for a few hours or something, and it's not very good for them. So, <laughs> good point. Yeah. So I thought it would be better, like make make to order, 
and really for people to appreciate like the beauty of nature and something bigger and yeah. Well, you said you've been here for five years, so let's back up a little bit. How, what led you here and what was your journey professionally before you arrived here? Yeah, that's a long, that's a long, long Read story. Go for it. A very long story. Uh, okay, so I'm from Quebec. Uh, I'm sure you can tell with my accent. Um, I love your accent, by so, the way. Yeah, French-Canadian. And I, I came to the island, to Vancouver Island, um, in my 20s. I'm 48 now. Okay. Well, I will be 48, actually. I'm not yet. But, yeah, anyway. Um, I came into to my To me, that's very young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway. Uh, not to me, but, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so I came in my 20s. I was an ocean mapper, basically. I was um, wow. a hydrographer, and I was working for the federal government, and I was making navigation charts, uh, and it was... Yeah, it was colors and lines and shapes and, you know, it, it was already kind of connected in a way to to what came next. Uh, and it was a, a, language, a language exchange that I did. I was, um, well, that I organized myself with a colleague from the Sydney office here in, on the island. And she wanted to learn French and I wanted to learn English, so we... Yeah, swapped me jobs. Jobs were wow. a year. Wow. And then after that, I didn't want, I did not want to go back. <laughs> so I stayed, but to stay, that meant I had to quit my job. Because she was coming back to her job. She wasn't actually, oh. but she she moved on to Newfoundland. <laughs> so not You really went in the opposite directions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I I decided, actually, during that time that I was working as a hydrographer, I was um, I was traveling and just kind of discovering our world as, as it was. Yeah. And I, I am type 1 diabetic. Mm -hmm. And I discovered, as I was traveling, that most people would not have access to insulin. Mm -hmm. And that was quite shocking to me. Wow. So I, I, I kind of wanted, yeah, to do something about it. And I was taking a lot of photos, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just memory photos for, for my holidays and coming back home and people would be like, oh my gosh, who took those photos? And, and I was like, yeah, I took them. Were you shooting in film or digital? At the time it was film. That's what I wondered. Like yeah. sort of. It, it was before the digital the early cusp. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, yeah, I was doing slide, slide film and like very bold colors. Um, and I, I loved shapes and colors and lines and textures. Again, you know, I that's why your eye sees the world. Yeah. That's the ocean or the earth or yeah. people. I, I, I'm a colorist, really. Uh, more than like I was, yeah. All my photos were very colorful, uh, more than black and white. Like I, I have taken black and white photos, but that's less me than the colors. And I, I decided 
I, yeah, it was mainly when I came back, I decided to go back to school in photography. Okay. And so I became a photographer. And where did you go to school? In Victoria. Oh, okay. yeah. You at university? Uh, at the time, there was a school that was a private school. Oh, wow. A private photography school. Oh, my goodness. What a great opportunity. Yeah, so I, I did that um, after I quit my job. And, uh, yeah, I just plunged in and did it. And I, uh, I was mainly attracted to colorful flowers. And I was taking a lot of photos of nature and flowers, and I was going into all, anything flower was interesting to me. And then eventually I decided to, I, I thought, I need, my, I need my work to mean something. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's beautiful, it's pretty flowers, but I want something that will help the world. And so I decided, as I noticed in my in my trips that I was uh, very lucky to have access to insulin and be alive. When you were traveling, were you going to other countries or other yeah, continents? Other and would you travel with insulin? Is yes. that for your insurance policy? I have, yeah, oh yeah, there's no way I could find insulin in some places. Wow. Uh, maybe now it's everywhere, right? You know, but, but this uh, was like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, that was quite wow. a while ago. Yeah. And, and so that was quite shocking. And I, I thought, okay, I want to do stories uh, that will help people have access to healthcare. I love it. And that was kind of my motivation to work for Doctors Without Borders because I wanted to be part of something bigger than just me doing a story on my own. I wanted it to contribute in a, in a wide, like in a... Beautiful, right? Yeah. So you went, you joined Doctors Without Borders, which has a wonderful name in French. Médecins Sans Frontières. Yes, yeah. I've, I've seen the, the, the dual logo yes. and stuff. Yeah. And, and um, did you join uh, as a staff photographer or was it volunteer work or how did that all come together? I, I started by reaching out to them and just with a letter saying, how can I contribute? Like, I'm, you know, I'm willing to wash the floors and whatever I can do. Uh, but I, I'd love to, you know, to contribute and take photos. And yeah, the first thing they told me was, no, we don't hire photographers. It's never going to happen. And, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, how can I do it? You know, I, I, I just. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so it didn't take long, about a couple of weeks later, uh, the director of communications and of MSF Canada reached out and was, "Do you want to go? <laughs> do you want to go to Colombia?" And I said, "No, I want to go to Africa." And yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I, I and he sent me to Africa. Wow! I was supposed to be uh, for two weeks in Zambia the first time, and I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And then in the country, there's different MSF sections and uh, one talked to the other. And then I moved to, I stayed for two months in Indiana instead of two weeks. And I, I would have stayed longer, but I had to come back. I had some exams and things uh, in school I had to, to care for. So I came back and then, yeah, I was just volunteering. 
Mm. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity that you created. You manifested it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And and they brilliant. And they called me back the following year. And then I think for two years I volunteered and then they hired they hired me. Um, yeah. Were you basically um, becoming a documentary visual journalist, like documentary style storyteller, because you were capturing these stories that needed to be told. Yeah, I was a communications officer, Hmm. uh, but a visual communications officer. Okay, that makes sense, wow. Yeah, which is is very similar to being a photojournalist. Right. But it's, I'm not working on my own will. I'm I'm trying to pass on key messages that uh, are of of the... uh, the organization. Yeah, you're you're so. a cause a cause mission focused uh, in your work. Like you had a purpose you were trying to communicate. Yeah, and then they would use that for probably fundraising and education and outreach and advocacy. Yeah. All wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I, I loved what I was doing. Oh my gosh! I really loved it. I bet. And I I started more as a trend. I was their translation coordinator. I I was doing translation work uh, on the side and anyway so I I, la- I landed in in their office in Toronto and started working there as their translation coordinator wow. eventually and with having a few months dedicated to photography traveling in the projects um, and then I moved to Belgium as their photo editor and photographer. Wow. And stuff. Wow. And from that base in Belgium, were you still traveling quite a bit? I was, yeah. I I was coordinating the visits of all kinds of photojournalists that were the right fit for certain topics uh, for them to kind of keep working on their own project that was related to whatever topic they were sure. working on. Wow. And, or sending the the one person that really felt like the right fit for a certain context. And yeah. How long were you in Belgium? Seven years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, seven years. And I worked eleven years for Doctors Without Borders. Wow. Yeah. What a what a chapter. I don't even want to say, you know, what a history because I know it's still with you. Your your love yeah. of color, your love of telling stories. Your concern about you know people's access to healthcare—it's still part of your value system. Yeah. But your lifestyle has changed now. Yeah, flowers pull, pulled you into yeah, this it's, place. it's very different. Um, so what what happened? Um, I took a sabbatical because I was like, do I just need a break or do I need to change my life entirely? Like I wasn't too sure. Uh, but I wanted to feel it in my guts and really make a decision because it, it was like a breakup, really. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I and I, I love my work. I, I really did. Um, but yeah, being type one diabetic, I became celiac. Uh, I had all kinds of allergies, and traveling to these places was. But somebody told me I, I won the gold medal. You know, it, it's it's tough. I had to plan every single detail of my life to be able to eat and to function to function wow. while I was doing the work. Oh, and that's got to take a toll. It, it 
became a little heavy at some point and it was a question also I was like do I want to live my life in in a suitcase for the rest of my life or do I do I want to settle somewhere um and I I felt that I was showing a lot of um the misery of the world in many ways to help these people and it, it was it was great, and the stories they were telling me were so interesting, and it was very helping me become a better human. Yes, um, as I was trying to help them. Just sounds like a profound experience. Yeah, life changing. Yeah, for in Absolutely. so many ways, it's yeah. still with you. Yeah, and I met amazing people along the journey mm-hmm. for sure. And I was also shocked as I, I did these travels to see how affected, um, like, a lot of the places in Africa or um, when I went to uh, the Philippines after uh, the typhoon or Haiti after the earthquake, like, seeing the destruction of nature mm. almost everywhere mm-hmm. and realizing how important nature, like, we need to care for nature. And environmental issues were as profound, right? Super profound and having such an impact on everybody's health and uh, well-being. And, yep. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the sabbatical was in what year that you that you decided to take a pause? 2015. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. And did you do that here in Victoria? No, that's when I decided to move back here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I moved back in 2016. And was it just this sort of digging deep in your into your own memories and spirit of saying, where do I feel at peace or in balance or what is calling me? So, yeah. So what I did is I, I wanted to be away from the noises of the world and Although India doesn't, I went to India. Okay. I went to India for five months. This was the sabbatical. That was my sabbatical. Got it. Got it. Uh, and I, I went and did some yoga, and I, I wasn't too sure. I just wanted to do a practice for myself. Sure. Uh, to to be able to be in tune with how I felt really. Um, there was a position in uh, Geneva I could have taken and I was like okay I need to just like let go of everything be with myself for a bit and feel it and I spent quite a while on a beach um, there's the Andaman Islands I don't know if you've ever been there no. but it's it's gorgeous island I went to the most remote island I could find and sat on a beach. There were nobody on that beach. Once in a while, I would see someone, but it was... You were pretty much alone. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much alone on a white sandy beach in turquoise water. And sitting there, I was like, okay, so what what is it that I, I need to do next? Is it just going back or... Or something else. And on the beach, there was this massive tree. 
And I don't know why, but that tree just reminded me of Tofino. Mm. And I was like, oh, Victoria, Tofino. And Tofino, for people who don't know, is, is an area on Vancouver Island, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's in a beautiful uh, national park uh, on the west coast of the island. And there's these beautiful long stretches of white sandy beaches. And there's a lot of surfers that go mm-hmm. there. And there's a lot of um, trees. It's, it's a forested area. There's lots of hikes uh, to be done there. It's it's beautiful. It's I, I've never been there, but I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was missing, I don't know, the connections with the people that I, I made here. And so I decided, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm moving back. And I, I didn't know what I would find, what I would do or anything. I just was like... That's it. I'm going back. And wow. so I went back to Belgium. Well, from India, after, I mean, I let it sink for a couple of couple of weeks. And then I sent a letter uh, to MSF, mm-hmm. uh, like a breakup letter, <laughs> uh, to say... Yeah, it was such yeah. a... Over a decade of your life was devoted to this profession yeah, this and cause. This, this cause, right. Yeah, and I, I, it took me a long time... Uh, to go through that breakup, I bet. Uh, because I I would listen to everything going on in the world and and always like we we do this we do that like I, I was so attached to the organization right. I I still am right uh, they're doing amazing work right yeah wow well you said you went back to Belgium what just to pack up and like yeah. empty out your apartment or something yeah <laughs> I just went packed everything moved and yeah came here and came here. But you didn't know what was waiting for you here. I have no idea. I have totally no idea. <laughs> wow. So we're going to wrap up, but we need a, like, a nice little um, conclusion of why did you land on this, in this garden and have this beautiful new, new life, which has got to be so healing for you. And yet, you know, yeah, it's just like a wonderful, I can picture you in this garden feeling such sense of, a sense of peace. I know it's a hard work. I know you're working by yourself a lot. You're a sol- solopreneur, but you're making it happen. But it just must be nice to have, feel like you're an environmental steward in your own way here. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah, I don't know where to begin or end here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I... I my partner, that's his parents' place. So um, when, I, when I met him, I was gardening. I was gardening professionally um, for clients. And he was doing that. It just happened when we met that he was also doing that. And wow. it took him a while before he brought me here. Uh-huh. Uh, I had no idea that he was living here on this At this beautiful spot. Wow. And when I when I when I came here the first time, I was just like seeing the potential of the place. I was just like, oh my gosh, like there's so much we could do here. But you were seeing it as a gardener. Yeah. The flower farming and floral design was it wasn't yet even a seed of an idea, probably. Yeah, it was not there yet because I have never really been attracted to flowers that you buy in a supermarket or mm. most florist shops like um, the imported flowers I I don't know I don't 
feel the vibration or something. Right, right. Uh, I get of that. Those flowers. They don't even seem. They don't they seem detached from your everyday. Yeah. Connection to nature. Yeah, and here it was like it started with the dahlias they had on the property, and it's not my absolute favorite flower now, uh, but they are in a way because what I love about dahlias is they connect us with nature. Yeah. Uh, the bees uh, that are just sleeping in them, napping, and they're everywhere. It's a magnet for bees and little frogs. And it's just like you, you cannot do otherwise than just want to help nature. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what happened is that, yeah, I, I started, it's about observing nature. It's about seeing um, the silence and uh, listening to nature. Yeah. And the more you listen and observe it, the more you want to help it and be a part of a part of it. And um, our world is in such uh, a state these days that I want to be able to contribute in a positive way. Right. And and that was that came first before wanting to be a florist. And I I started more gardening and growing things and uh, observing the seasons and realizing how how much uh, this was beneficial for the land and for people. And, and then it became about realizing that I can help connect people to nature and flowers are just gorgeous and, and a beautiful way to do that. And you, yeah, you can celebrate love and and nature by connecting people together and connecting people to nature, and by using local flowers, you're helping nature. And these are not the flowers that you were saying you felt detached from. These are because you have an intimate relationship with these flowers. You've started them from seed and yeah. nurtured them and given them a home and. As you were saying on the tour, you don't even cut them all because you let some stay here for the pollinators. Uh, just like a full cycle back to your, what motivated you to become a photographer and to work for Doctors Without Borders, which was your own mission to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. It's just a, in a different environment now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, you know, um, you're you are an artist and you know the way you capture the world through the lens now you're capturing it as a, a grower and a designer mm -hmm. and that when you said you loved color I'm like okay it's all connected yeah I love it yeah it, it's shapes colors lines and textures like that that's how I see the world and you compose it in your mind's eye and then you capture it yeah either through the lens or in a vase yeah. or a bouquet. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason I, I, I started doing the designs is that I got inspired by some designers that really do amazing, gorgeous work. And until I saw that, I didn't even realize it was possible. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And But then once I started, it just it just keeps going. And I, I don't know where this will end. Yeah. And... It, again, some of the designers you admire, 
and I think I know who some of them are, they're many of them started just finding farmers to buy from and do, do they did have a connection to the season, but there is this sort of hard to articulate extra nuance when you are growing mm -hmm. the flowers that you then design. That's an extra layer, yeah. which I think is what's prompting so many uh, prominent florists to like an Ariela Chazar, who, who was like going to, she started a flower farm. You know, Holly Chapel started a flower farm. Like some of these people um, realized what they wanted to get their hands on as artists. Mm -hmm. And you, you naturally had it built in here. And I love that you kind of went the other way. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I think if you want to do something of that quality, that elegance with, with curves and shapes that, that are not your typical straight lines, you need to grow them or buy them locally from other right. growers that right. understand that. Right. Yeah. Well, will you share some photos of some of your designs we can put in the show notes so people can see how it goes from the garden to yeah. a bouquet? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I'm certain that you're doing all your own photography and that must be so fun for you. Actually, I, I do a lot of photography myself, but I also love to work in collaboration with like great photographers. I, I it's still something I love doing, mm. and I, I love working with artists and uh, in general. Yeah, and I've got big projects uh, that I want to do with with certain artists. Um, that will be our next podcast I, episode. <laughs> yeah, they're coming up, but yeah, it's still forming. When you're ready to share, please do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so special. I really appreciate you hearing more and being able to share it with a larger community of people who are going to be inspired by your story. Wow. If I can inspire just one person to grow a few flowers and connect right? to nature, that's that's You've that's done your job. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. much for joining us today. Julie's story is a lovely example of how one woman chooses to leave a positive impact on her environment by thinking creatively and sustainably about the ways in which she grows, sources, and arranges flowers. This includes regenerative growing methods, focusing on seasonality, using recyclable packaging, and never using non-biodegradable floral foam in her designs. As she briefly mentioned, Julie sells her flowers through the Island Flower Growers Co-op. They're Slow Flowers members and a producer-owned cooperative of cut flower growers on Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands of British Columbia. In a few weeks, you'll learn more about this vibrant and vital regional flower hub when I host a conversation with Lorna Jackson, one of the founders and board president. I can't wait to share that episode with you. Thank you to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. In News of the Week, I recently recorded two interviews and I want to share them with you. First, check out the May issue of Flurvana Magazine, which is produced by Sean Michael Foley. 
It includes a really fun conversation he and I recently recorded for video viewing. You can find the free link to read this monthly interactive floral design magazine, including my video clip with Sean in our show notes. Good through the end of May. In addition, Sean has shared some Slow Flowers promotional codes for anyone interested in a membership in his Florvana Plus educational hub and a significant discount to one of the upcoming Florvana retreats. You can find those promo codes in our show notes for episode 611 at slowflowerspodcast.com. Next, I was delighted to be a return guest of Jennifer Jewell's award-winning public radio show, Cultivating Place which aired on May 11th. What a fun experience to catch up with Jennifer and her listeners and share more about the Slow Flowers Society, the upcoming Slow Flowers Summit, and Bloom Imprint's latest release, Furrow and Flower. I'll share that link so you can watch it. It'll be in today's show notes as well. Speaking of the Slow Flower Summit, last Friday's May member meetup featured two of our keynote speakers who will take the stage next month, Amy Balsters and Lenny Larkin. These two floral luminaries shared a preview of what they'll teach and demonstrate at the Slow Flower Summit, and you can watch that replay video in today's show notes as well. Lots to watch and listen to. Phew. With that, I want to thank our final sponsor, Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season. From tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Music.